All right, well, um, I'm going to get into the message here. We, we started a new series um, in, uh, here in January um, called Well Played. And uh, hey, they made me sweet. They made me a graphic. Um, well played, of course, is, you know, if someone makes a good play in a, in a sport or a good move in a board game, a chess match. Um, they make a good, you know, a good, a good argument in a debate. A lot of times the response would be, well played. Hey, well played, that was good. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I get to heaven, I want, I want God to say something like that. Like, hey, Kurt, that was, pretty, that was well played, you know. That was a good job. Well done, thy faithful, thy good and faithful servant, as the Bible would put it, right? I don't know exactly the words that he would say, but I want to hear, I don't know about you, I want to hear something like that. Something like, good job, you ran your race, you finished your race, you ran with endurance. Anyone else identify with that? Okay. So um, the title of our series is Well Played. What does a life well-played look like. So we're just kind of focusing on that for these first few weeks of the year as we kind of, again, it's kind of a big goal time for people or people look at their lives and make changes. So what, is, what does a life well-played look at? You know, um, what does that look like? So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 10. We'll, we'll get there in just a minute. Um, but before we do that, I'll kind of start with this story. But do you guys remember, um, some of you would remember this, but in, in 1999, um, NASA launched um, an orbiter and, uh, and, and sent it toward Mars. And um, this orbiter was designed to uh, study the atmosphere of Mars. And it, it cost $125 million, took 286 days for this orbiter to get to Mars. And they don't fully know what happened to this orbiter, but somewhere... Um, before it got to Mars, um, somewhere around there where it fired its rockets to get itself into orbit, um, they lost contact with it. And they don't really know what happened, whether it, they don't know if it crashed into the planet or if it missed Mars altogether, but they lost contact with it. So they launched this investigation um, to why they lost this orbiter, to find out what, what is the root cause, why did we, what happened. And they realized NASA had um, subcontracted with Lockheed Martin. And throughout the, and they subcontracted with Lockheed Martin to build some of the parts of the, of the spacecraft. And they realized along the way that Lockheed Martin was using the Imperial measuring system for, for guidance, while NASA was using the metric system for guidance. And they didn't gel, right? And so, interestingly enough, the, the, the orbiter itself had the correct system, which was the metric system. Uh, NASA was using the metric system. It had the correct um, system on it, and it kept saying, I'm here, but on the ground, they're measuring with this imperial system and saying, no, it's off. It's off course. And so rather than going with what the um, orbiter had said, they went and they made corrections, only they weren't corrections, to the orbiter, and they made seven corrections over, its, over the course of the 286 days, and by the time it got there, those corrections were enough to throw it way off, of course. And again, they don't know what happened, whether it crashed into the planet or missed the planet altogether. But it didn't, it didn't work, okay? And so, now, some people say the imperial system is to blame. And I disagree. I think the metric system is to blame. Now, because since 1990, NASA has used the, the metric system. Now, to be clear, the metric system makes a lot more sense. Like, we all know that. Like, it's base 10, you know, 10s, 100s, etc. Like, yeah, I get it. The metric system makes more sense. But I don't use the metric system because I'm not a communist. I'm an American. 
and in America, we still use things even when they don't make sense. So I'm not a communist. All right. By the way, there are, for those of you who don't know, there are two types of countries. Those that use the metric system and those that, well, go ahead and put that graphic up. If you have it. The two kinds of countries one, is that in there? Okay, boom. There are two kinds of countries. Those who use the metric system and those who have landed on the moon. So, take that. The title of my message today is called The Proper Measuring Stick. And actually, can you hand me that, uh, there's a yardstick there. The Proper Measuring Stick. On one side of this we have centimeters, on the other side we have these weird inches that we use here in America. So, um, I'm going to lean that here for now. So, the question we're going to be asking is, when we analyze ourselves, when we look at our lives, what is the proper measuring stick that we're supposed to have? All right? Each of us has a race that God has marked out for us to run. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these are the people who've gone ahead of us in heaven, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. There is a specific race that God has marked out for you to run. He has a plan, destiny, and purpose for you. And I mentioned this last week, but God's not going to hold me accountable for, for the race he's marked out for you, for your destiny and calling. He's not going to hold you accountable for mine and vice versa and the person sitting next to you. And so today I want to hone in on one of the, the greatest um, weapons that our, the enemy of our soul tries to um, use to get us thrown off of our race. Okay, there's a, there's, a, there's a few ways the enemy tries to throw us off our race. And today I want to talk about comparison. Comparison is the wrong measuring stick to use. Comparing to the person next to you, the person you think you should be, right? Comparing to whoever. That's the wrong measuring stick. What unit of measurement are we supposed to use when we analyze our lives, when we view our lives um, before God? It's crucial that we analyze ourselves the way God wants us to. Otherwise, just like that Mars orbiter, by the end of our lives, we'll be way off of course if we continue to analyze and measure our lives in a way that God doesn't want us to, okay? So comparison is the wrong measuring stick. Go ahead and put up that, that next slide that we have. Caution. Avoid poison envy. Comparison kills joy, okay? One way to remove joy from your life is to get into comparison, to get in envy. Envy and comparison are, are, are joy killers. They're destiny. They'll get you off of God's course for your life, for the race that he has marked out for you to run. Go ahead and go to the next picture I have there. All right. <laughs> Everyone's like wishing there's someone else, right? I wish I had, I wish I was black. I wish I was white. I wish I had black and white spots, right? And isn't this the way the culture we kind of live in? Like, especially with, the, with social media, it's like everyone's putting their, everyone puts their best foot out there, of course. They don't post, you know, the picture with no makeup, usually. You know, everyone's putting their best foot out there. And can you imagine if you and I, if, can you imagine if you could have control over how you look? Like, I have a mole here that would be gone. That's for starters. <laughs> right? I would, pro- I would probably be a couple inches taller. 
right? I'd probably be a percentage of fat less or two, a couple more pounds of muscle, right? Um, the, I would have the symmetry, the facial symmetry of a model, you know, right? Imagine if you could have control. We, we would all look totally different, like if we had control over the way that we looked. Um, and I'm glad that God, God has like predecided some things for us, okay? So like he's predecided if you're going to be a boy or a girl, man or woman, right? He's, he's predecided your body type. Like you can do the best with what you have, but you can't really change your body type, right? You can do the best with what you have. Um, he predecided where you would be born. He predecided to who you'd be born to, because we've we've all picked to have been born in a house of a, a you know royalty, right? Rich people, of course. Um, that's what we would probably picked. But he predecided that. But listen, when we're trying to be someone that we're not, we're trying to achieve something that's outside of our reach. Okay. All right. Did you find Second Corinthians? Second Corinthians ten uh, twelve through eighteen is what we're going to read. The Apostle Paul um, had a lot of critics of his ministry. And in, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he, he addressed some of these questions that was coming at him from his critics. And this is how he dealt with them. So this is kind of the defense of Paul's ministry. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Hang on, i got to open this. Paul says... I do not dare to classify, or com- we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. So there's these people who are they're commending themselves, right? They're patting themselves on the back. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Okay? So Paul says, look, comparison, it's unwise. Like, it's not just a bad idea. It's, it's actually an unwise way to live your life. Okay, so I want to pause. If you are in that place where you are comparing yourself, envying, wishing you had that, coveting, like it's, it's not a wise way to live your life. You're going to be way off a of course by the time you get to the end of your life. And I just want to say in this message, um, we still want to have, you know, I'll get to that in a minute actually. So let's read 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 10, 12 in the New Living Translation. This is kind of cool. He says, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we were as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. They are only comparing themselves with each other using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant, how unwise, in other words, is what he's saying. So their standard of measurement, these other, these other men that he's talking about, they're comparing themselves with each other. Well, I'm not as bad as you or whatever, or I'm more holy than you. They're comparing themselves with each other by themselves and he says, this is unwise. This is unwise behavior, okay? So comparing yourself to others and comparing yourself even to yourself is an unwise measuring stick. Okay, go ahead and put up that next slide I had. So this person is measuring themselves by themselves only, and this is why it's a bad idea to measure yourself by yourself. The image you might see of yourself could be way twisted, could be way off. Obviously, this person has a way twisted view of themselves, right? So even comparing yourself by yourself is unwise. It's not wise to do that. Okay? We want to get God's view of us, right? That's the measuring stick we want to have. We want to have God's view of us. All right, we're going to, uh, let's go to the next verse, First, uh, Second Corinthians 10, 13. We will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work God has given us, which includes our working with you. Okay, 
So the word boast here, he's not, he's not talking about like bragging. He's just saying there's a sphere of authority that I have. And Paul's like, um, there's an area, there's a sphere of influence God gave me. And there's an area of influence that he hasn't given me outside of that. The word boast here, this is really interesting. It means living with your head up high, boasting from a particular vantage point by having the right base of operation to deal successfully with a matter. Okay, and it comes from a, a root word that, that mean, is translated neck, and it's what holds the head up high. Figuratively, it refers to living with God-given confidence. Okay, so he's like, I'm not going to boast. I'm not going to have God-given confidence outside of my arena of authority, but within what God has had, has given me, the, the area he's called me, I'm going to hold my head up high. I'm going to have confidence, God-confidence, Godfidence, right, within that area that he's given me. So listen, when we stay within the boundaries that God has given us, we can have confidence in him. When we stay within the bounds of the race that he has for you to run, you can hold your head up high. You can have confidence. And listen, there, he says there's um, boasting from a particular vantage point by having the right base of operation to deal successfully with the matter. In other words, there is not a problem that you will face that you can't have the right vantage point to deal successfully with that matter. Let me say it another way. There's nothing that you're going through in your life that God doesn't have an answer for. There's nothing you're going through in your life that God, well, I don't know what you're facing, I don't know what trials, I don't know what you're going through, but, but there is an answer from heaven. God has the answer for you. Amen? So hold your head up high, have that vantage point, have God-given uh, confidence within the sphere that he's given you. But listen, when you compare yourself to others, you're actually getting out of bounds. Right? There's an area he has for you. When you start comparing yourselves, you're out of bounds. And you can't have God-given confidence when you're in comparison. You can't hold your head up high when you're in comparison. You can't know that you'll have the right base of operation to deal successfully with every matter in your life if you're outside of the sphere that God has given you. Okay. So I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard this, this saying, but whatever you build your life on is what you'll have to sustain it on. So like if you build your life upon self-promotion, You'll have to sustain it on self-promotion. Like the, I've, heard, I've heard this with ministry. If you, whatever you build your ministry on is what you'll have to sustain it on. If, if you build your ministry on hype, you know, hype and the lights, you have to sustain it on that. And that's a lot of work. If you build it on the presence of God or the anointing or on prayer, you know, that's what you can sustain on. And that's a sustainable trajectory. And then actually God holds things together, right? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't want to constantly be at work to hold my whole life together. I want God to hold it together when I'm in his will. Whatever you build your relationships on is what you're going to have to sustain it on. If you build a relationship on a facade, you're going to have to sustain it on the facade. Right? If you get a promotion and you built it on self-promotion, you're going to have to maintain it by self-promotion. Okay. Uh, let's jump back to 2 Corinthians 5, 12. We're going to read 1 through 18. Paul says, are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than a sincere heart. Okay? Apparently in Paul's day, there were people with ministry, you know, and Paul talked about um, people who preach Christ out of selfish ambition and some with a sincere heart. And listen, we talked about last week, you know, building our life on the, the foundation of Christ, but building with the uh, the gold, precious stones, and silver, wood, hay, or stubble, and that those, our works would be tested by fire. In other words, God will test the quality of our work at the end of our lives to determine whether this is worth a reward or not. And if you build your life on a sincere, one, one of the ways is to build it with a sincere heart. Whatever you do, do it with sincerity. 
That is one way, not the only way, to build something that will last for eternity. But doing it out of selfish ambition, envy, self-promotion, that kind of stuff, I can assure you, doesn't hold up to the test of time. But in ministry, it's important to do it's important to do what God has told you to do. I mentioned this last week. It's important for you to do what God's told you to do, right? Um, not necessarily what is the biggest and the flashiest and what will attract the most people. Like some people are called to um, uh, ministry to um, uh, people who, what is the word I'm looking for? Like se- uh, sex offenders. Like there's people who are called to minister to them. And for, for sex offenders, a lot of the times because of their parole, they can't even come to a church like this. And so how do they get ministry? Well, I know people who do ministry for sex offenders they have to do something where there aren't kids around, you know, because of the nature of their... And they're ministering to those people. Well, listen, that kind of a ministry, by man's standards, will probably never be like very glamorous and flashy, will it? But some people are called to do that. Some people are called to do all kinds of things that never really get like noticed that much. And I think in heaven, God, again, he doesn't, he's not going to, he's not going to tell them, well, why didn't you do what Pastor Kurt was supposed to be doing? He's going to say, no, you did what I told you to do, right? So we will have to, again, stay in our lane, do it, be in the sphere of influence God has given us and, and let him be in charge of the reward. Okay. Um, let me read one more verse here. We're getting close to the end here. First Corinthians chapter four, verse three through five. Again, this is Paul. He says, um, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Okay? Motives are huge. Motives are, like, really important to God. I don't know, like... You know, I'm not very familiar with a lot of other religions, but the Bible is like talks a lot about the motives of our heart. You can actually, you can have the right motive, right, and do the wrong thing. You can have the wrong motive and do the right thing, but God cares a lot about our motives. He cares about what drives us, and I constantly bring my motives before the Lord. And if I, um, if I find myself in this in this in this place where I, I hear, you know. Um, something happened, and, I'm, and I think if that's a way that I can maybe promote or, or, or get more influence or whatever. Here's a good example. I meet a lot of people that come and visit church. I ask them, you know, their name or whatever, or I see them at the store. Oh, I get the pastor of City Lights. And I realize, like, they might come visit my church, and they're disgruntled with their church. Like, there's an offense or something with their church. I realize at that point, like, I have to, I have to be careful because they could be called to their church that they're at. They're just going through something. And maybe I'm supposed to encourage them to go back to the leaders that God has called them to and work it out, right? At that moment, I could, like, try to snipe them, you know what I mean? No, come to my church. It's better, you know. But I, tra- I tread carefully on that. And I just tell people, like, you, you have the ability to hear God for yourself. Like, if, yeah, if you want to come check us out, great. But if God has planted someone somewhere, I'm not going to add fuel to the fire that they're going through, right? So there's an example, Okay. This is, I'm, and if you could think of something in your own life, of a way to benefit yourself, that like, hey, I could just, I could, I could get a little bit ahead here, you know, if I do this, okay? We don't want to do that. But Paul says, in, in terms of judging himself, he's like, I don't even judge myself, I, right? I don't even judge myself. I just do, I'm just doing what God has put before me. I'm doing what he's called me to do. I'm not even the judge of myself. Now, that's not to say you don't have people who speak into your life, like you want people that speak in your life. You want mothers in the faith, fathers in the faith, 
You want mentors. You want to have transparency. So I'm not saying none of that is relevant. But he's just saying, hey, at the end of the day, when I've done what God has called me to do, I'm, just, I'm not even going to judge my own heart. God, God will do it at the end anyway. And he'll reward to each um, what they have done, right? And again, I just want to say, we're not talking about salvation here. Heaven talks about rewards. There are rewards in heaven. I don't fully know what that even looks like. Salvation, going to heaven itself, is a free gift. That is trusting, putting your faith and trust in Jesus, right? That's a done deal when you do that. But the Bible does talk a lot about the life that he's called us to live, and there will be reward in heaven for that, okay? He says, I don't trust myself, I don't compare myself or my ministry to anyone, including myself. I'm going to do what God has put in front of me, and I'm going to have God confidence in the midst of that. And I know that there's going to be an answer to every problem. There's a solution for every problem that I'm facing when I'm within the realm of authority God has given me. It's so good. And so remember, it's not wrong for you to be exalted. It's wrong for you to exalt you. It's not wrong for you to be promoted. It's wrong for you to promote you. Right? I remember <laughs> before I was working at, uh, before I was in adult pastor at, at Res Church in Loveland, I was a meat cutter um, at Safeway in Windsor. And I was a journeyman meat cutter, so I'd been doing it a while. And we had a, we had a guy who, who came in. He didn't know anything about cutting meat. And I did a lot of his training. Like, I was a journeyman. I did a lot of his training. Well, years go by. He's almost through his, his apprenticeship. He's almost through journeyman. And there's, like, a meat manager position. And we both apply for it at, at, at the, the store we were at. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get this because, you know, I trained this guy. <laughs> right? And, and I had, by the way, I'd applied for several other times for a meat manager position. Never got it. And they picked this guy. And I was like, I trained him. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a wrestle in my heart over that. It's like, oh, my God, he's my boss now. The guy that I was telling him what to do, I have to, he's going to tell me what to do now, you know? And listen, in retrospect, it was good that that happened that way. He actually, um, even though he didn't have as much meat cutting experience, he actually had more managing experience. You know, he was more mature than me in that regard and had just had more skills for the job. And in retrospect, it was better because I wasn't supposed to be there forever, right? Like, but, but honestly, this is a good pause. I, I still felt like I was supposed to apply for the job because you learn something when you apply for a job. Sometimes people apply for a job and they don't get it and they're like, God, you told me to apply for the job. I didn't get it. I'm mad at God now. Listen, he, you could still learn something from applying for the job, right? Or, or you ask a girl out and she said, no, well, I thought, God, I thought you said to ask a girl out. I remember... Just as a young adult's pastor, I always talk to guys who ask a girl out, and she, you know, she shot him down or whatever. Now I always like, hey, I'd always commend a guy like, good job for taking a risk. You know, it's okay. She said, no, big deal. Like, ask another girl out. You know what I mean? Like, you learn something from the process. And I think, I honestly think sometimes God will tell you to do something, knowing you're not going to get the job, knowing the girl's not going to say yes, right? Because you're learning something process, but you're trusting him with the results, right? We have to trust him with the results. And again, that wasn't, that wasn't what I was supposed to do. And then when I got hired at Res Church in Loveland, I remember I've been the faithful servant there for a long time doing the adult ministry. And, you know, preaching in the main service was kind of like, I want to do that someday, you know, because I'm called to preach. And then younger people would come in and be hired and weren't there as long as me, and then they would get to preach. And I'm like, I had to go, I'm just being honest. I had to go to my basement and, like, deal with that. You know what I mean? In fact, I think they asked my wife to preach before. Did you do the Mother's Day message? Yeah, before they asked me to preach. I'm like, they asked my wife. 
my wife got to preach before I did, you know. That hurt. I was like, ouch. You know, I had to deal with that with God, you know. This, I, I know I'm talking to everyone here. Like, you know that this kind of stuff happens in life, right? There's a, you know, all your friends are getting married, right? All your friends are getting married in life. When's it going to be my turn? When am I going to get married, right? Uh, if you have that, that picture, the, 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 that one, boom. <laughs> right? Huh? Is this any of you, right? This girl is jealous. That's jealousy right there. All my friends are getting married. You're right. All my friends are amazing. I'm still single. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Come on. We have to trust God with these results. It's not wrong for you to have good things happen in your life. It's wrong for you to compare, to envy, to be prideful, to self-promote, to slander. Put, I'm going to put someone else down to the boss so that he'll like me and give me, right? It's wrong to slander, to gossip, or to steal, or do any other shady thing to get yourself ahead. We can trust God. In fact, if you're working with someone, they're up for a promotion, you're up for a promotion, and only one of you will get it. Man, talk good about that person to the boss. Like, like say, yeah, he's awesome. You know what I mean? Maybe even have the courage to say, like, yeah, maybe you should, maybe they'd be better, you know? I don't know. But um, trust God with those results. It's called faith. And it doesn't mean if God gives someone else something, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you or doesn't have a plan for you or a purpose for you. It doesn't, it's not a demotion for you if someone else gets something, right? We have to believe he has something for us. Like, if another church in town is growing much bigger than City Lights, that's not a demotion for us. We're just doing what God's called us to do. We're just staying in our lane. And I hope, man, this region, seriously, this region, a lot of people don't know the Lord. I hope all the churches grow. I hope every church grows. I hope every church is busting at the seams because we need to reach this region for Jesus. Amen? So I don't, I don't bat an eye if someone's growing faster than us and getting more people saved and has tons of, you know, more finances or whatever. That doesn't bother me because we're all part of the same team, Right? We're not in a competition with other churches. We're co-labors with them in this city. And so their win is my win. Their win is your win, right? Amen. So the proper measuring stick, listen, the proper measuring stick is not, it's not other people, comparing yourself with other people. It's not comparing yourself against you. It's actually just in God's eyes. He's the one with the right measuring stick. And I'll just close here with a little talk on how he does to you. Okay, in spite of the good, the bad, and the ugly, you are loved, you are valued, and you are accepted. Like, you can't be rejected. Like, you can't be rejected in life. It doesn't matter if I reject you or you, someone else rejects you. You've already been accepted. Like, you've already been, from like the foundations of the world, you've already been accepted. It doesn't matter if someone rejects you. It doesn't matter... If you don't, in man's eyes, look awesome or get the promotion or get the girl or the guy or whatever, you're already accepted. We live from approval, not for approval, right? We live from his approval, not for approval. Amen. You find out who you are. Find out who you are in Christ Jesus. You'll never want to be anyone else. That should, that, if you find out who you are, that'll be enough to excite you every day to get up and to be so excited to like storm this world for Jesus. Like wake up and like, Jesus, let's go get it. Like it's a new day. Come on. All right, this reality right here, this will keep you within the boundaries of what God has for you, right? We get in comparison, we get out of bounds. But we stay within the realm of authority he's given us. We, have, we can believe God that he has the solution for everything we're facing, everything we're going through. He has the solution, he has the answer. Amen? All right. 
All right, I'm going to pray and then we'll close. You want to, are you closing? Is someone closing? Jory's closing. All right. Why don't you guys stand on your feet and we'll pray and then we'll dismiss y'all. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for um, every individual in this place, Lord God. They're already loved, valued, accepted, Lord God. God, I thank you. You are so wise, Lord God. You, know, you knew not to give me a promotion, Lord God, because you had other things for me. And you know you have ultimate wisdom with all these people, Lord God. And I just pray, Lord God, that we just trust you with the results, Lord God. We'll take risks. We'll step out, sure. We'll be obedient, sure, God. But we're going to just trust you with the results, Lord God, because you're leading us. And we're accepted, we're loved, we're valued in your eyes. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.